people of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And our faith is what pleases Him. Hebrews 11, 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Faith is not believing in spite of the evidence, but it's obeying in spite of the consequences. A faith is confidence that God's word is true. And it's a conviction that acting on that word brings his blessing. A faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We are to be people of faith. And that faith is transformed into action. When God is working in your life, then you will be working and serving him in some way. A faith that is not transformed into action indicates a dead or fatal faith, as we'll see in our study this morning. Notice with me, first of all, an important question, an important question. In verse 14, it says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can save, uh, faith save him? Can that faith, or this kind of faith, save him? The answer to this question, and the believer's responsibility, is to live for Christ. And I believe that's what's seen in this passage here. These verses form a strong attack against a dead, fatal faith, a faith without works. And before we're done, some of you who profess to be saved may realize that you're not. James asks at the end of this verse, can, a, can faith save him? That means, can that faith or this kind of faith save him? Listen, not everything that is claimed to be faith is genuine. There's such a thing as head knowledge of Bible truth. That doesn't make a person a Christian. Saying I'm a Christian does not make me a Christian. I heard one talk show Post um, say, when he was talking about the subject of Christianity, he said, well, I've been a Christian all my life. My parents were Christians. I grew up in a Christian family, so I must be a Christian. It's like saying, I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm a Wisconsinite. I was born in Wisconsin. My parents were born in Wisconsin, so I'm a Wisconsinite. Well, just saying that doesn't make it that way. That's, that's not getting the idea of what a Christian really is. By the way, I was not born in Wisconsin. But I'm glad to be here anyway. 
So we have an important question here. What kind or what kind of faith do we have? Can that faith or this kind of faith save? Secondly, we have an idle faith. An idle faith. Look here, verses 15 through 17. We notice it says, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warm, warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Is dead, being alone. When a person is saved, there's a change in the life of that person. And faith alone saves a person. The faith that saves is not alone. A faith that truly works will show the works of faith, holiness, obedience, service, submission to God, submission to His will. So genuine belief in the truth will produce a genuine behavior of the truth. And so when a person professes faith in Christ, but his life doesn't match what he's claiming, can that faith save him? Well, the answer is no. There is no profit in a man claiming to possess something that he actually does not possess. Just as there's no benefit to telling someone, well, God bless you all. You know, God bless you when they're cold and starving. Some folks are, are all profession emphasizing what they say. Many of these folks will unfortunately die and spend eternity in hell. They profess Christ, but they don't pray, they don't read their Bibles, they don't go to church, they don't tell anyone else about Christ. They run around with the wrong crowd, they live a wild, wicked lifestyle, they have a foul mouth. Is that the way saved people act? I certainly hope not. Making a verbal profession of Christ will save you if there's uh, will not save you if there's no genuine repentance and faith in Christ. This is the kind of faith that is fatal to faith if there's no repentance, there's no faith in Christ. Matthew seven twenty one says, "Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven." Faith without works is dead. Works without faith is dead as well. You may ask, well, but I thought if I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, I would be saved. Well, that's right. Acts 16.31 says, They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. Now, the key word is believe. There are two kinds of belief. There's an intellectual belief, the kind that has no effect upon your life, and there's a life-changing belief, and that is a belief that affects your behavior. James condemns the first one. And this is the kind of belief that even the dead demons will possess, even is a, what we would call a fatal faith. And that's what we'll look at here next. Notice, thirdly, an invalid faith. Verse 18. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. <clears throat> thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? 
Here we're talking about an invalid, worthless belief. Did you know that you can believe God in God and still go to hell? You can believe in God and still go to hell. The Bible states here that demons believe in God. <coughs> Be rest assured they're not going to heaven. Demons believe in the existence of God. They know God exists. They're neither atheists nor agnostics. Reminds me of the article I read just recently. There was a, a pastor of a church that uh, said she was an atheist and the church did not get rid of her. They kept it. Well, that's no longer a church if it ever was one. How can someone who claims to be a Christian and have a church not believe in God? Sometimes people who believe in God but not are not saved have more respect for God than many others do. But the demons have respect in God. They believe and they tremble. The word tremble comes from the Greek word which means to bristle, to stiffen, or to stand up like the hairs standing on the back of your neck. It means to shudder, to, to, to strike with extreme fear, to be horrified. Demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They witness His deity, His sonship. They witness His judgeship. Now they have more sense than many unbelieving men and women do. Mark chapter 3, verse 11 and 12 says, And unclean spirits, when they saw Him, fell down before Him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And He straightly charged them that they should not make Him known. Unclean spirits said, Thou art the Son of God. Luke 4.41 And devils also came out of many, crying and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. You see, demons also believe in the existence of a place of punishment. Many people say, Well, I don't believe there's a hell. Well, the demons believe there is a hell. Luke 8.31 says, And they besought him that he would not command them to go into the deep. The word deep there uh, is the word abusos, which means bottomless, unbounded, the abyss, the pit, the immeasurable depth, a very deep gulf or chasm in the lowest part of the earth used as a common receptacle of the dead, especially as the abode of demons. So they believe in hell. Matthew chapter 8, verse 29 to 31 says, Behold, they cry out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them, and heard of many swine feeding. And so the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. In Mark 5, verse 7, it says, And cried with a loud voice, and said, What have I to do with thee? Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God. You see, you can believe that there is a God, you can even believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and still go to heaven. Demons believe, and yet they continue to be demons. They do not love righteousness. They do not hate sin. Unsaved people can believe about Jesus in their heads, 
and yet they can remain unsaved. Why? They possess an intellectual belief instead of a life-changing faith and a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we go over to the, the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 8, we read about a man by the name of Simon. He believed, and uh, yet he was uh, baptized, and yet lost in his, in his sin. Simon the sorcerer. Acts chapter 8, and we'll look at verse 13. Acts chapter 8, verse 13. And Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. Now look down at verse 20. But Peter said unto him, Thy, thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thy heart may be forgiven thee. Simon believed in the miraculous signs that Peter was performing, but he did not believe in the one whose power was behind the signs. And true salvation is not just a profession. It's not just a ritual that you go through. It's a divine transformation of the soul from the love of self to the love of God. From the love of sin to the love of holiness. James states that faith without works is dead. The word dead means idle. Like money which yields no interest or land that bears no fruit. Dead faith is not saving faith. It's a counterfeit faith that lulls a person into false security, false confidence of eternal life. It's an intellectual faith, but not a heart faith. True faith is bound to overflow into action. And those with a fatal faith reveal it in their life by what they don't do for Christ. Their life contradicts their profession. And Paul talked about this in the book of Titus. Titus chapter 1 verse 16, he says, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. So we have an important question here. We have an idle faith, we have an invalid faith, but then we have an indisputable faith. An indisputable faith. Someone say, well, what about Paul's statement in Ephesians chapter 2? He states that salvation is not based upon our works. Now there are those who like to try to see uh, see a conflict here between Paul and James. Ephesians chapter two verse eight says, "For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast." But notice what James is not saying. He's not talking about two people. One who has faith and no works, and the other one who has works and not faith, both claim to have faith, but one cannot substantiate his faith. He says he has faith, but his life shows no evidence of it. The other likewise claims faith and proves it. He says, look at my life and see that I, a change has taken place. Look at my works, the things that I've done since I made a profession in Christ, Look at the life I've lived and you will see something real that's taken place in my heart. Now you can't see my faith. 
you can't see what's within my heart, but you can see my works. And those works I show you, the unseen faith which motivated them. By the way, I don't mean that this is to sound boastful or pride-filled at all. That's really more of a characteristic of one who says he has faith but can't prove it. He can't do any more than say it. No, James and Paul don't have a different way of looking at Christian life. But they, James and Paul begin at different states in the Christian life. Paul begins at the beginning stage. James deals with the professing Christian. We're not saved by our deeds, but for them. James is saying that our faith is evidenced by our works. That's no, there's no profit in a faith that cannot be seen for being a secret agent Christian. I think we have a lot of secret agent Christians. Don't let anybody know they're a Christian. They're just kind of living undercover. What's the Bible say about this? In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created him in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to the mercy, his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he hath shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and those these things I will that thou affirm constantly that thou which they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. And then 1 John 3. 1 John 3, 17. But whoso hath this world's good, seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Verse 18 says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let me make it clear that we work for Christ out of our love for Him. We do not work for Him to make Him love us. You know, we'll, we'll, if we do enough good works, He'll love me more. No, He already loves you. We serve Him to glorify Him and to reach others for Christ. We're not going to reach others by doing nothing. Here is faith in action. An act of the will of the person who has placed their faith, their trust in God, and out of obedience to His Word and love for His Savior, who demonstrates His faith by acts and deeds that bring glory to God. That's an indisputable faith. Those fifth illustrations of saving faith. James gives us two illustrations. 
by what he means by works demonstrating genuine, authentic faith. It's interesting, these two illustrations come from the Old Testament. First, there's the faith of Abraham. In verse 21, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he offered Isaac his son upon the altar, seeth thou how faith wrought his works, and by his works faith were made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, who saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. See ye then how that by works a man is justified, not by faith only. Abraham's life illustrates this kind of faith and, and how faith and works go hand in hand. Faith and deeds are not opposites. They're inseparable. No man is moved to action for God without faith in God. No faith is genuine unless it moves him to action. A man is justified only by the kind of faith which does things that God commands. And that faith which refuses to obey God it's not the faith that saves. It's a dead, fatal faith. It involves only the intellect. The person is stirred, but not moved to a genuine faith. Again, the faith of demons involves their minds, their emotions, and they tremble. But a saving faith involves the entire person, his mind, his emotions, and his will. The mind of a person understands the truth of Scripture. The heart of a person desires to know God's truth. The will of a person acts upon God's truth. And God wants us all, not just part of us. He wants our mind, He wants our emotions, He wants our wills to do what His will is for our lives. We need to trust Him and love Him with our entire being. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might, Abraham proved his faith by his willingness to offer Isaac. He was showing his obedience to God. Uh, his actions justified him before men. He was already justified before God. Forty years earlier, Genesis 15, 6, it says, And he believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. That word counted comes from a a word which means to reckon, to impute, or calculate. It means to place in someone else's account. Abraham was spiritually bankrupt, but his faith in the Lord entitled him to receive God's righteousness, which was imputed to his spiritual account before God. And the same is true for us. Our sins were placed on Christ's account for him to pay, and his righteousness was imputed to our spiritual account when we were saved. So like Abraham, we're justified by faith in Christ. Justification is an act of God where he declares the believing sinner righteous on the basis of Christ's finished work on the cross. It's an act of God. It's not a process of our own actions. Justification is not something a sinner does. It's what God has done when we trust him as our Savior. When Jesus Christ becomes our Savior. And there are not levels of justification. It's a once and for all event. Our justification in Christ never changes. We're not saved one day and then we lose our salvation another day. Our justification in Christ is permanent. 
I think there's something very interesting about Abraham and his relationship to God. Two places in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles 20 verse 7. Isaiah 41 verse 8. Abraham is referred to as a friend of God. It's the interesting thing about friendship is there are at least five important qualities of friends, both on the human level and in regard to our relationship with God. First of all, friends trust and love one another. Friends trust and love one another. And friends have frank and familiar communication with one another. Friends delight to meet each other's needs. Friends give gifts to one another. And friends stand up for each other. Now that's what the Bible says a friend is. We're not just talking about someone who's, oh, I know that person. You know, I know his name. I've seen him from time to time. Very few of us have very few friends, I think, in this regard. But this is what true friendship is. Trust and love, communication, it's delighting to meet another person's needs. It's the giving of gifts. It's the standing up for one another. I wonder, can you see in these qualities acts or deeds, works that demonstrate a relationship of friends? Again, it's true not only of, with one another, but equally more so with God. Do you trust and love God? Do you have communication with God? Do you delight to meet His needs? You say, God has needs? Well, you have needs, and He'll, he'll meet your needs. He wants you to communicate with Him. A friend of God will give gifts. God will, uh, will give you gifts. And you'll stand up for one another. You see, the working of intellect, the emotions, and the will, all working together in harmony. To say you're a friend but not to love someone and do things for them is not genuine friendship. And for you not to love God and to seek to please Him, that's not friendship with God. Abraham was known as a friend of God. Now, James gives another illustration here. It's the faith of Rahab. Rahab was another woman who proved her faith by her actions. Here's a real contrast. Real contrast to her and uh, Abraham. Her story is found back in Joshua chapters 2 and, and ch chapter 6. She was not a member of God's chosen nation. She was a part of, uh, she was a heathen woman of loose moral character. She was kind of, kind, uh, commonly known as Rahab the harlot. But we find she placed her trust in Jehovah God and believed his promises would be fulfilled to Israel. Remember when the spies came to Jericho, she befriended them and protected them. She wanted to be on God's side, and by her acts, she showed she did have a real living faith in God. According to James, she was justified by works. Her actions showed to men that she was one of God's own. Several years ago, I came across this statement in relationship to this passage of Scripture was this, all Holy Scripture agreeably beareth witness that true living faith in Christ doth bring good works, 
And therefore every man must examine and try himself diligently to know whether he have the same true living faith in his heart, unfeignedly or not, which he shall know by the fruits thereof. Many that profess the faith of Christ were in this error, and they thought they knew God and believed in Him with their life they declared it. And with their life they declared the country. Again, I ask that important question. What doth it profit, my brethren, do a man say he hath faith and not works? Can faith, can this faith, can that kind of faith save him? So what kind of faith do you have here this morning? And we can sum up what Jesus or James is saying here in three kinds of faith. Idle faith, that's dead faith, faith that is not is only in the head. Invalid, invalid faith, that's demonic faith, faith that's in the head and the emotions, or indisputable faith. That's a dynamic faith. Faith that's real, involves not only the head and the emotions, but also the will. You see, Christianity is more than just saying that you're a Christian. Saying it doesn't make it true. It's not only being a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. And James ends the chapter by saying that faith, so-called, that produces no works, no outward demonstration, is like a corpse, like lifeless. It's dead, and therefore it's worthless. I trust we. Each one here this morning have a real, genuine, authentic faith and will show it clearly to one another as well as a testimony to the unsaved with whom we come in contact on a regular basis. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 